What's up, everyone? Welcome to Scoutsiders episode two. Thank you all for joining us and joined once again by our venerable co-host at this point, pretty much, Pat Perry, co-founder of Scoutsiders, world champion, Texas Rangers scout. Always got to mention that. Pat, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having uh, me on. I love doing this. Uh, world champs, dude, that never gets old. Uh, I hope we can continue that for like another year and a half cycle. Absolutely, forever. I mean, no one can take that away. That's a world championship. And, and as far as the record books go, you're going to be a world champion forever. So, Pat, I'm hoping to join you one day in those championship ranks. I still got some work to do. But today, Pat, we're going to be discussing some interesting topics. We're going to get into uh, CJ Stroud, his S2 score. That's kind of a big topic right now in scouting. You know, that's kind of supplemented the Wonderlick test. So we're going to get into that. We're going to have that discussion. We're going to get into defining some scouting cliches. And at the end, we're going to do a lightning round. I'm going to surprise Pat with some questions and get his quick thoughts as far as scouting questions go. So without further ado, guys, we're going to get right into it here. And our first topic of discussion is the CJ Stroud S2 score. So I'm going to tee this up, Pat. And so CJ Stroud's had a, he had a pretty low score on his S2. And that is something that leaked right before the NFL draft and kind of dropped him possibly right there underneath Bryce Young. They were both neck and neck, looked at 1A, 1B. And it seems like some teams sort of separated Stroud and kind of brought him below Young because of that low S2 score. So, Pat, today I'm going to share my screen here. We've got an article, and we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to get your thoughts here, but I'm going to read a couple excerpts. Pat, is that coming through right now? Yeah, I'm not seeing it. Um, oh, here we go. Here we go. I would have liked to have known Tyler Bass's S2 score after he choked that field goal. Uh to uh, cost overtime with bills. That's what I would like to know. Oh, man. we That was a wild game as well. We might, we might have to get into that, but we'll, we'll do that at the end. Um, okay, so here we go. Here we go right here. This is an excerpt that I wanted to focus on right here. And uh, right here we get here, amid the hubbub, I'm going to read this out loud so that the people at home can follow along. Amid the hubbub, the creators of the S2 told the Wall Street Journal that Stroud's astoundingly low leaked S2 score in 18 out of 100 was flagged as potentially invalid and reliable. The S2 has in recent years been taken as a more predictive marker of quarterback success than its predecessor, the Wonderlick. Stroud, who had a sparkling resume at Ohio State, featuring a 69.3 completion percentage and those marvelous stats, had a simple retort to his score. I'm not a test taker. I play football. The people who are making the picks know what I can do. And I want to focus on that last quote right there. I'm not a test taker. I play football. The people who are making the picks know what I can do. So, Pat, to me, the people who are making the picks, those are scouts at their core. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Those are NFL executive decision makers. And usually, in our industry at least, a lot of guys who get to the decision-making level, they were scouts at one point, And they, obviously, they know how to evaluate talent. So 
I imagine well, it's similar in the NFL. Yeah. No, no, sorry to cut you off, but I'm with you. From the player's perception, yeah. They see scouts at the ballpark. They think those guys are making the picks. Instinctually is old school, maybe types. Yeah, the scouts make the picks. Um, you know, I think peeling the on- onion back a little deeper, though, we, we all know that's not fully how it operates. That's a great call out right there, Pat, because that is true. Uh, as far as players who really don't have a peek behind the curtain in the industry, they do tend to think that, you know, scouts at the yard have a lot to do with the decision making process, which isn't actually the case. So that's a great call out right there. So in any case, you know, hey, Stroud's perception is I'm a football player. Hopefully you guys will watch the film and you guys can see that this this test is not something you should be evaluating me off of. So then I'm going to skip down here a little bit. I know that's uh, about what the, what's in the test. We're going to get into that. But now down here, you know, Stroud's saying, hey, the people watching the games know what I can do. Now, this is where I wanted to focus right here. Stroud would large, was largely viewed as a 1A to Young in the 2023 NFL draft, but once S2 started, once S2 talk started to come out, Young gained a clear edge as the Panthers' number one pick. And as one NFL executive put it, per Sports Illustrated, Stroud scored 18. That is like red alert, red alert. You can't take a guy like that. That is why I have Stroud as a bust. That in conjunction with the fact, name one Ohio State quarterback that's ever done it in the league. Now, Pat, I'm going to turn this over to you in a second here, but the reason that I wanted to focus on this particular excerpt right here is because I just wanted to point out how, to me, this is really bad process. You know, we, we talked about last week, the old school versus the new school. And I think this is kind of an example where the new school got a little carried away in this particular example with this executive right here, because we talked about information or test information or data as being something you need to look at within context of the entire evaluation. And to me, that is something that was lost in this particular instance. Now, I don't know if this executive was with the with the Panthers or he was with another team or what it was but and and you know who knows maybe they did take other things into example but just this quote right here is a really bad look to me and I think it gives the data side of the game sort of a bad look where you know you you see the 18 score the makers of the test are saying hey it might be an outlier but you're you're using these off the field things to say that CJ Stroud is a bust. You're using his his S two test score as well as the the profile of Ohio State quarterbacks. Now, I think that's okay to consider, but that's something that's more for a model to put through its uh, you know calculator to see hey what is the history of Ohio State quarterbacks cross referenced against this level of measurables and things like that. So, Pat, this is something that I just wanted to bring to the surface. And my whole take on this S2 thing is I'm all in favor of it as a piece of information that you look at, that you can take into the evaluation. But I think this CJ Stroud example is a situation where if I'm in the room, 
I think it's it's easier said than done, but I would like to say that I'd be one of the people who would say, hey, like let's let's take this 18 with a grain of salt right here and let's look at some of the other factors indicating that this guy can read the field, that this guy does process information on the field at a high level. And I think that would have been a productive discussion brought up by this S2 score. And that's kind of how the decision-making process ought to go when you have all this information available to you. So Pat, I've talked a lot here to start this thing out. I appreciate you hearing me out. This is something I'm passionate about. What do you got in this area? You know, I go back to, to where you started with the article. Uh, what things make a test score potentially invalid or unreliable? Um, you know, the, the founders of S2 are from my alma mater, the University of Northern Colorado, uh, you know, and I have a little background with some of this test administration stuff. And I think that's where I would want to know, man, like 18, really, really low, like what was the context that he was given the test? You know, was a laptop sent to him? Was he done in a supervised room? Was it in a room with 10 other people simultaneously taking the test on campus at Columbus? Uh, you know, you see a talented player like that and a score that maybe isn't reflective of his abilities, got to start asking questions. Um, I think from a risk management standpoint, I think that's what all these third-party vendors are selling, right? Like, we're going to manage the risk that you inherently accept in a situation like the draft, um, where it could be boom or bust. You know, your franchise, and especially in the NFL world where – you know, there's no minor leagues to figure it out. You know, they have to go out and post and do their thing, you know, so you get that feedback loop very quickly where, you know, baseball, you, you have a little bit more uh, longevity and legs to, to figure some things out. So for me, there's a little bit more gray area when it comes to uh, baseball in particular, but yeah, it's the context you know, if you got a scout in there that's that's buying this guy, saying he sees the field, he, he understands the game clock, like he, he can manage those things, and the score is the opposite of what the old school scout might be feeding the organization, I, I would definitely dig on that or make him take it again. Um, you know, you can't go back and replay a college season, but, you know, a, a test like this, like, hey, you got to take it again. I love the I love the the way that you bring all the context into it. You know, what is this test like, right? What, you know, are you taking it on a laptop? Is it on the field? You know, these are things that people don't necessarily know. They see the number, but they don't know what the test itself is. So, you know, well, I, I, I sorry to cut you off, but I mean, yeah. I'll tell you right now. I mean, I've taken some of these tests and and, and so people know the S2 like they are licensing tests that are not theirs so researchers they come up with these tests they write this software they write this coding and then a company like s2 will, will take it they'll license it and they'll package together in this final product of s2 you know and i can tell you from it would have been probably 2013 14 you know i got to take some similar tests like i believe they use an s2 one was called the nvac and, uh, you know, it involves seeing letters on the screen and, and based on the sequences of letters, you had to hit the space bar a certain amount of times. 
I consider myself a pretty like sharp guy. I, I think I can figure things out. And uh, I mean, I can tell you from watching the example and then taking the test, I was atrocious. I, I just didn't understand it. I di it didn't quite sit with me well the first time. And it took two or three times to finally get in that flow of what this test was actually trying to get me to do. And, you know, I think for people that sit behind a screen and that work with these softwares and these different test taking things, like it, it may seem apparent what to do, but I can tell you as like an athlete, someone who like lives at the field, it's not always the case. I think that's a great point, Pat. It brings me back to CJ Stroud's quote, you know, of himself saying, hey, I'm not a test taker. And it also reminds me of things like standardized tests that we all went through in school, like the SATs or something like that, right? And so we all know, I mean, there's definitely a lot of examples in the academic field of students who they've got a high GPA, they've got great essays, you know, they grade out really well in interviews, but their SAT score, for whatever reason, is not measuring up to the same level as everything else does. And I think to me, that's more of a, instead of disqualifying that student based on their SAT score, it ought to be like what you said of, hey, what is the reason why everything else is so high and the SAT score is so low? Could we have them potentially retake it? Is there some kind of, you know, is there some kind of um, misunderstanding or some kind of, uh, you know, in the directions of the actual exam, are those confusing for certain types of individuals, right? Where you're getting these type of low test scores um, from a certain type of individual. So I think that's a great call out. This is a, you know, I find it interesting that the S2 is a, you know, they call it a spiritual successor of the Wonderlick here. It's a 45 minute test. It tests perception speed, visual search efficiency, trajectory uh, prediction, impulse control, and improvisation. Definitely traits that are important in the quarterback position. But I find it weird that it's not tested on the field. Like, is that yeah. true? Is that true? Pat? Well, no, that's what I was going to ask you, Shirag. I was curious, like, what percent, you know, zero to 100, like, just you instinctually would trust like a guy's ability to measure perception speed, visual search efficiency, trajectory projection, like things that they have to do on a field versus on a computer screen. Like, like what percent just instinctually do you trust that? Man, I'll be honest with you, Pat. I mean, I think it's like a low, per I think it's like 25% or less because I would take it more as a reaction, you know, I think you're more so measuring reaction as opposed to like processing. I would need someone to explain to me, you know, how this is truly measuring something that's like on the field. Does that make sense? So for me, it would be low. What, what about for you? It'd be a low percentage. I mean, I could maybe get to 50. Um, you know, I, I tend to believe that there's some correlation between video games and ability to anticipate things and react to things. Like um, I can see some correlation. Like, could I stamp it like with a hundred percent certainty? Absolutely not. Um, 80%. Hmm. I mean, you would really have to let me behind the veil uh, to let me buy into that like level of trust. 
that it can measure this stuff. You know, like I think about, uh, I opened the fridge the other day and um, my wife's notorious for stacking things in our fridge, you know, like she'll make uh, inverted pyramids of butter and jelly and, you know, the mm-hmm. butter falls out and just, just like a cat, you know, you, you grab it and it's like, well, I mean, it was great reactions. I saw it out of the corner of my eye. Like I just happened to catch it. Pan went right where it should. Like you're telling me, like, I feel like that might be a better measure sometimes than S2, right? Like, can you catch the butter that falls out of the fridge? Um, you know, cause those things happen in the real world, not on a 15 inch laptop screen or a, you know, expanded monitor or even like a 55 inch plasma TV. A hundred percent, Pat. I'm, you know, I think we're, we're reaching near the end of this discussion, but we've had some, we brought up some good points, some good questions. And one more thing I want to throw at you, it's kind of a statement question hybrid, but I think one of the reasons I wanted to bring this, uh, article to the forefront and this issue to the forefront is because it kind of at the very and the deep levels it's kind of like data versus eye test and um to me i think we live in an era like in the world right where people are too quick sometimes to just take data or test results and then bring on some expert who tells you why or not even why but just just tells you the test results and we're supposed to just take their word for it and not look behind the curtain or ask questions as to, you know, why is that? What is the context behind that? You know, and even in this article talking about the founders of the test, you know, one of them had said, take some of the scores with a grain of salt, you know, so I'm glad that they at least mentioned that, but I feel like it just gets lost in the in the society that we're in when we when we have this data and information available to us we have too many people including including high level decision makers who we trust to be nuanced in their decision making process who take this information and and make more of it than what it needs to be which is a pet peeve for me pat because i think we we're, our decision makers are supposed to be more nuanced than casual fans you know if it if you have casual fans who, you know, when it went viral that CJ Stroud scored an 18, of course there's going to be people who are like, oh, you know, Stroud can't process the field. You know, it's going to be hot takes like that. But the executives are the ones who are not supposed to get caught up into that narrative. You know what I'm saying, Scott? Uh, what I'm saying, Pat? Yeah, you know, I, this is kind of funny. I was listening to you speak about this. You know, I wonder if in some way maybe the team that wanted him leaked the information, you know, is kind of playing that cat and mouse game of, look, this is the guy we really want, you know, and we need to make sure he gets to where we're picking. And, you know, if there's anything that the draft is riddled with, uh, it doesn't matter what you're picking, it's anxiety, you know, and you're going to have hindsight 2020, you're going to have doubt creeping in. Um, you know, and at times so many different things can, can move those needles. If you are working off like a true old school decision-making model where you're just picking off, like you kind of like your instincts and your gut and your feel and, and not necessarily like a firm rigid model, you know, I think things like this can 
you know, greatly influence it or, or just plant just enough seed or just enough seed of doubt that you end up choosing another direction. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's data is part of it. We're going to keep measuring more. Uh, we know that in baseball, I mean, it's been 20 since 2015 since TrackMan came on the scene and, you know, there's all sorts of testing now that, that goes on with these guys. So, I mean, the, the, the data is only going to mount. And I think putting it all in, in, in framing it all in the, in the right, whether it's um, old school, like how we're going to stack the board or pumping it in the model, uh, just giving it the right context is, is going to be really important. 100%. You know, that word context keeps coming up. And I just think it's super important. You know, it's going to be a theme during our, during our whole, or during all of our episodes, I feel like, because that's what scouting is. So oftentimes it's just properly weighting things within context, you know, and I thought it was a great thing that you brought up there as far as, uh, you know, where did this, where, you know, who leaked the test scores, you know, the team that wanted him, maybe they leaked it, maybe the Texans leaked it, but I do think it's important uh, to mention that, we don't know. We don't know what their draft board said. You know, the Texans were in hindsight, they were in an excellent position because at number two overall, you're in a no blame situation, right? Because you just, in this most recent draft, you just kind of take the best, the, the guy who's left there, right? Because we don't know. It's possible that, yes, we played out the rookie season. And I think it's become clear in the NFL that CJ Stroud is a better quarterback than Bryce Young. Um, but we didn't know that per se, uh, you know, a year ago when the evaluations were going through, like we didn't know what they would look like on the NFL field. So it's possible that Bryce Young on merit on the film and everything like that was a cut above CJ Stroud. I don't want to say that as an expert, like I know, but I just think this discussion is an important one to have because, and that's why I brought out those quotes because it seems like there's some evidence suggesting that at least somewhere in the NFL, people took this test score and they blew it up out of proportion. And I think that's just like, wherever that, whoever that executive is, I mean, if I knew who it was and I was, a, and I was a, his boss, I would be like, I would have to re-examine a lot of what we did and, and kind of have that conversation and bring it up to the, to the surface. Well, you know how it is especially talking baseball like we want to label guy label players everyday guys we want to label them all stars um and it's hard to say hey this guy is going to be a bust right i mean that's that's a power statement you know not like no s2 no scouting like this guy is going to be a bust like that's a really bold statement and so if it's like you said if you're just going to frame that around the context of the s2 like shame on you and okay, you can just frame it around S2 and the fact that like Ohio State quarterbacks haven't done anything in the league. Like, again, like that's 0 for 2. Like, those, those to me are two, you know, components of figuring out a player, but they're, they're small components. And, they're, and there's so much more, uh, you know, that defines these guys, you know. And like, I thought it was funny how they, they called it the spiritual successor uh, to, to the Wonderlick. You know, obviously, like CJ Stroud, very open about his faith. You know, maybe that's a component that's allowing him to do what he's doing, you know, because he has faith. He's not a, 
he's not afraid to hide who he is and how he feels about uh, religion and life and God. And uh, maybe that's something that, hey, we should have taken more into account as opposed to just the straight S2 and the fact of historical Ohio State quarterbacks. Dude, 100%. And I feel like that piece on Stroud's faith can be taken, like we could do a whole nother episode on that and just get into that piece. And who knows, like there's some places in, in the society we live in where that is used against you, you know, where that is actually a mark against you. And, and so that's, that's unfortunate, but um, it is what it is. I think coming back, just closing it up on this point on the uh, S2 Last week, I talked about how I'm the type of evaluator who I want as much information as is available. So I would want CJ Stroud's S2 score. But what was disturbing to me about this executive, like you said, to me, that executive is not an individual who, to me, that quote right there proves that you're not an individual who can handle that much information when you're making a decision making, when you're making a decision. Because here's the thing, I want a ton, of, a ton of information because I believe in my processor to be able to weight certain things higher than others or lower than others. You know, I feel like this individual had a bunch of information given to them and they somehow came out with their processor that Ohio State profile and the S2 profile is somehow weighted above everything else. And, and this individual was thinking to themselves like, that they're a model, you know, and they're not, you're not a model. You are a human being. You need to think like a human being, not a machine because you're not one. And so to me, that's why I say, Hey, I just want as much information as possible. Like, and I believe in my processor, but I just think it's important to point out that, Hey, we, we considered these guys, these executives, like the Holy grail. Okay. But they're not, you know, they're not. And, and some of them have made really poor decisions that, you know, other people in the industry who have a wherewithal would not have come out at the same, would not have come out the same decision or the same thought process. Yeah, I mean, we have to live with the calls we make. I mean, you know, um, sometimes it's nice. You wish you could just openly see who thinks exactly what about you. Yeah, you know, and I'm just saying, like, this executive probably gets paid half a million, quarter million dollars a year or more, you know, and it's like you're you're paid to be better than that. And I'm glad I didn't put the name in there. And if we had a higher, if we had a bigger platform, then, you know, I would call that individual out. But um, I appreciate the discussion on this topic, Pat, we'll move on. Unless you got any closing thoughts. No, I, I was just curious for you, you know, like in terms of just the S2, you know, from what it advertises that uh, it measures, like, is there anything on the baseball side that that really interests you of like, hey, I, I think this, area of the s2 actually is really interesting and I, and I think it maybe does have some merit to like you said your process yeah i mean i think this this is an exception right so the reason it had been used is because there was a high correlation uh as far as measuring guys skills you know so it was telling us something and so that's why i think i'm not saying you got to get rid of the s2 altogether i'm just saying that now we have a new piece of information about the S2. So we can't just take it and make it the holy grail. We now have to take this piece of information and, and raise that question anytime we get outlier results. 
So that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I think like looking through it and just coming from maybe the offensive background, working with hitting, coaching hitting in college, I think the aspect of stopping control, I would really like to understand the S2 system and how they measure that better because I I, th- I do think with hitting that's such an important skill to have you know you, you have to be aggressive minded at the plate but you have to trust your muscles and motors to shut down and shut down quickly you know and I think all the all the great hitters do that and they do it at different times in the ball flight uh, it's just that stopping control and, and that's an element of this s2 that I, that I am really bought in on and you know, would just love to go back through some of the old test scores and see how that translates to actually on-field performance for for some of these amateur hitters. Yeah, that's it's funny. Great. I will share. I will share this with you too. I did dig up. I pulled up some old 2020 uh, S2 scores, and there was uh, there were some very high draft picks uh, that uh, scored poorly on the S2 that ended up changing positions and going very, very well in the draft. So I did think that was funny to see, you know, uh, a guy that basically tanked the S2, which I view as like an offensive oriented test. Um, you know, I feel pitching, you got the ball in your hand, like it's completely different than hitting. Um, you know, so it was funny to see that where uh, a former two-way player bombed the S2 ended up converting uh, into a pitcher, ended up going in the first round three years later. So uh, I thought that was kind of a cool little validating moment for the S2. You know, if we've talked about the bus side, I thought that was one that was uh, pretty spot on. Yeah, I like that. I like that intellectual curiosity right there, you know, that you want to know about the stopping control piece. You want to know more about what goes into into the test. And yeah, I apologize if my answer to the question, I feel like I didn't get into that, but I would like, you know, I would, I would like to take the test, you know, like I would, I would like to see what it's about um, and just sort of get a feel for what it's measuring and and how, how that correlates even from my own perspective. Cause that's how I've all, that's the kind of learner I've always been as far as let me put myself through it. Then I can have a different perspective as far as what this is really, what this is really doing. And then, then I'll be able to speak on it even with a little bit more clarity. So I like your intellectual curiosity there. Well, well, and same for you for for one to take this. And I'll tell you this, like uh, Scott Wiley, Ryan Wiley, uh, Ted Bayshore, who's on their board, people that, you know, I know from from my past, like if you want to take it, they'll send it to your house. Like, I mean, that's how much they believe in it. And, um, you know, so I I can arrange that for you. Oh, that's cool. Hey, that might be like we might have an episode or some content we can do with that if, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, i'm sure it's out. proprietary but maybe you and i can both take it and then we can compare our scores after absolutely that would be cool Love all it. right pat so great discussion there on the s2 stuff we'll wrap that up we'll move on to our next section here and uh this is kind of a funner section i think but it's sort of important uh, i wanted to define some scouting cliches today pat we hear it all the time we go to the yard all the time but it's crazy how often you really hear these things Cliches are cliches for a reason, and that's because they're, they usually ring true. And so that's why I wanted to define some of these. And I wanted to get some of your thoughts, like what, you know, you hear, you hear these things at the yard. What is it? You know, Hey, this guy's a gamer, man. Like this guy, 
is an absolute gamer. You got to give him to me on my team. I'll take him any day. So Pat, to you, I'm going to give my definition, but I want to, I want to hear your thoughts as to what is a gamer. A gamer is a player who will always rise to the occasion. You know, he will give you his best at bat uh, when it matters most. Uh, he'll execute a pitch when he needs to. It's not always a success or failure measure, but, you know, he's going to give you the, the best uh, product in those moments that truly matter. I love that. I love that definition right there of a guy who will rise to the occasion it's an intangible thing, right? Like you can't measure a game. That's why they're called gamers. Because to me, a gamer is usually better in a game setting than they are in a practice setting. Meaning mm -hmm. that say you go to a workout or you go to a batting practice or something, right? This guy might not stand out with huge bat speed or huge power that, you know, over the fence power that you're seeing in BP, his traits might be more subtle. And then in the game you see, Hey, bottom eighth inning, He's up, runner on third, less than two outs, comes through, right? Drives in that run, figures out a way, gets pesky with two strikes, whatever it is. But that's sort of that gamer right there who you want up in those big situations, even though they're not your most toolsy guy. Mm. You know, I, I like how you said that. So, so you're saying that the tools may not be obvious, but when it comes to game time, they become more apparent. Yeah, like so we hear that, right? Where the tools play above or the uh the like the sum of the tools are are better than the the individual tools. I forget what they're saying is exactly, but that being the sentiment, right? Where, yeah. you know, guys like David Eckstein, guys who are outliers in the history of the game, a lot of those guys they got way better and obviously they you know, I think Eckstein won like a batting title and things like that. So he had plus tools at the end of the day actually, but a lot of the things he did were intangible. No, I'm with Derek you. Jeter. Derek Jeter also was a like now when you talk about some of your best players also being gamers, where like you've got first round caliber or you know top five pick caliber tools, and you have that instinctual piece or that feel to play the game. That's when you're talking about some of the all time greats like a Tom Brady or a Michael Jordan or a Derek Jeter or Alex mm -hmm. Rodriguez. And yeah, so, uh, what do we got? What do you got? No, no, it's, it's well said. Okay, all right. So, Pat, we we talked about what is a gamer. The next one, you know, we we hear a lot. Hey, this guy's a winner, you know. And and sometimes there might be overlap between a gamer and a winner. Um, what do you got on that? What's a winner to you? Winner on the mound is a guy that he has the respect of his teammates and. They do everything they can to get behind them and rally for the W. So I'll even tie in like a little bit of like makeup component to that where, you know, he's embracing the clubhouse. People want to give him his best. You know, like there were some guys that just didn't matter uh, when they took the mound. The offense was going to pound out like six to eight runs and he was going to get a W whether he hung a two spot or a five spot, you know. Um, so I think there's just elements to that. And I, I think naturally some guys have just a golden horseshoe. Like they, they just win. Like it's, uh, it's hard to wrap your head around at times, whether it's just from a, uh, an analytic standpoint or maybe even a, a scouting just straight tools, but some guys just find a way to win. 
That's awesome. And I, I, the reason I wanted to ask this one is because I've been watching, I don't know why, but I've been going down this rabbit hole lately of, I've been watching a lot of Michael Jordan interviews, Tom Brady interviews, you know, just because I'm fascinated what drives the greatest of all times to succeed. And, and obviously those guys are winners at the highest level. And even LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, right? Those guys who have been at the top, top of their profession and they're both very skilled and they win. So to me, I heard an interesting take recently about a basketball player named Jalen Brunson, who, who's on the New York Knicks. And he was also a collegiate player who won a national championship, I think, at Villanova. And uh, what I found interesting, I think it was Mark Breen, who's their play-by-play broadcaster, was breaking down Jalen Brunson. And he was talking about his impact on the team. And he pretty much described Brunson as a winner because he elevated the performance of the rest of his team. And I think in my couple years, in my few years now scouting, I think that's something that I've come to understand more what a winner is. And it's something that everyone wants to think that they have that in them, but it's truly a very rare and a very special trait to be able to raise the level of your other teammates you know and oftentimes winners are like Michael Jordan or like Kobe Bryant who care more about a regular season game than the role players on the team do you know so your your best player and your highest paid player cares more about game 14 of the regular season than your normal role players care about almost anything, you know? And I think that's super rare trait. And that's why you don't get many of those individuals, even though we, we constantly run across high-end plus athletes who have got all these tools. There's a lot of players in the NBA who even have Michael Jordan level athletic ability and things like that. He's a seven, eight, he's an eight, okay, on the scouting scale across the board mostly. But there are guys who are that good athletes but where they don't have it is on the mental side of caring that much about a practice or a regular season game. That's why practice is such a huge thing. And like the great winners talk about how they practice the way they play the game and that way the game itself is easy. I always love to dig on the amateur side about these prospects I encounter zoom with and meet with about you know if they've ever had to hold anybody accountable you know and it's easy to say yes then okay well, well well tell me a little bit about it like did you have to choose somebody out did you physically get an altercation with somebody um you know trying to just understand like what do they have in them to like have a hard conversation in real time with somebody because I feel like it's easy retroactively to go back and say, hey, you know what? Hey, practice day, you were really dog shit. Don't do it again. But like in the moment to be called out and kind of have that spotlight put on you in front of your peers, like takes a special individual to do that. You know, um, I think one, like they have to button, uh, they have to cross 
all their T's and dot all their I's so that, that, you know, they can't leave anything unturned on their own end to be able to do that. Cause then you just look like a jerk, you know, if you're not taking care of your stuff. Um, but then I do, I think there's some like upbringing and competitiveness that uh, those types of individuals are, are special and rare today. Yeah. Well, I love the way you tied it back to leadership and that's something else that we hear a lot about, right? Everybody wants to consider themselves a leader, right? But let's be honest, there's, there's only one leader usually, right, of a pack, or, or, or there's a couple leaders, you know, and there's a reason why those individuals are leaders. And I find it interesting, you know, we talk about Jordan, we talk about Kobe, we talk about Tom Brady as being the top winners in their fields. Well, those guys had something in common, too. They used to rip their teammates in practice. They would rip them on the court. You know, they're not always the most well-liked guys. And I find that to be something interesting when you talked about the makeup piece, you know, sometimes we're looking for, you know, just the boy next door, you know, and uh, those are, those are great. Those are great makeup guys. Those can be leaders too, but you need to have another side of you. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to be that guy where you, you know, I think the great leaders have that ability where Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr in the face in practice. But at the same time, you also will see him at times smack a guy on the behind during a game to give them encouragement, you know? So there, there has to be like multi-facets to it. And I think, Pat, on this note, I'm gonna share my screen again. I wanna show you this clip, this uh, clip, and I wanna get your thoughts on it. And this is uh, Rob Gronkowski talking about his first practice with Tom Brady. And so I'm gonna share my screen here, Pat. Let's get you, is that up there for you? Yeah, oh yeah. Let's, let's uh, all right. Here we, let's take a look here. Uh, yeah, is there so I don't know what led to you guys having like such great chemistry? Is it was it just you know, were you guys on the same wavelength? Uh, was it practice? Was it all the above? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that's not the same wave, wavelength at first. I mean, at first, I thought he was out of control, man. I was like, this dude, this dude crazy, like. Like I just never <laughs> really. Yeah, I never seen anyone like, in what way? Like I was like 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 a dickhead, like kind of. I was like, he's like a coach. Like I, like this isn't like my buddy, you know. Like you're going into the NFL. Uh, yeah. You're expecting it to be that. What's that movie with uh, Jamie Foxx's quarterback? Um, <laughs> Sunday. Uh, any given Sunday, any baby. Given Sunday. Like I, that's yeah, in my mind. That's what I was expecting. That's that's what I was like. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like that's I'm how right I lived my first couple of years in the NFL too. Like that's what I wanted. Like the movies tricked you. Like you think you think I'm like, <laughs> every time. So I'm like, this isn't anything like any given Sunday. Like I'm like this guy. This guy's fucking yelling at me. I mess up just a tad bit, and the dude's yelling at me. Like get over there, like coach. He's yelling at me more, and um, and then it took me a little bit, you know. To, to realize like what where it was coming from and and, and what the love was for and uh, I, I kind of felt like he was more hard on me at first because I think he saw some talent in me man I think he saw the opportunity that I had that was presented in front of me and uh, every single day man after practice he would make me stay he would make me and like two other rookies stay and he'd be like we're getting on the same page and uh, he'd be throwing pass after pass, route after route. I'm like, man, I just took first team, I took second team, and I took that. And they keep everyone after the rookies and the like second year players. Um what's that called again? All right. So I think 
that was that was good right there for our purposes. And so what do you got on that? You know, you watch that. What are your thoughts, Pat? It's everything you want, you know. Um, you want people to truly have your back, to truly bring you along, um, to give you the hard realities and truths of life, you know, that it's, it's going to take more than maybe what you think you need to do. And, uh, I mean, I love it. That's, that, that's what leadership looks like. Uh, that's what accountability looks like. It's what championship culture should feel like. Um, yeah. How many, in a, I got, I got one for you in, in a baseball major league locker room. How many leaders do you need on a championship team? Man, that's a great question. I want to come back to what you said originally. You, you mentioned leadership, accountability, the culture. A guy like Tom Brady combined with a guy like Bill Belichick, I think when you look at clips like that, you understand why they won so many championships together. To me, to answer your question, I think it just takes one. If you have one guy, now, it, it, now if it's just one, that has to be a very exceptional leader because it's got to be that guy who basically keeps everybody accountable in the locker room on practice field, right? It, it's a way more, I think it holds way more weight when it's coming from a player, especially when it's coming from one of your best players. And if it is Tom Brady or Michael Jordan, then you only need one, you know, but ideally, of course, on a high school team, on a college team, you as a coach, you're probably going to hope that you got multiple leaders on the team who can, you know, be coaches on the field for you and hold guys accountable. I just wanted to get into that clip a little bit deeper. And the reason I'm so passionate about this stuff is that we live in a time in a world where I just think everything, everybody wants things to be easy. Everybody, everybody wants everybody to be their friend. You know, Gronkowski was talking about how he came into the NFL. He was thinking it's any given Sunday. Quarterback's going to be my boy. We're going to go to the club afterward, you know, and it's just going to be a party. We're going to make millions of dollars. And you know what? Respect to Gronk because he had fun as an NFL player, but even more respect to him that he worked his tail off in practice and he did the things that Tom Brady was asking him to do. And he had the level of attention to detail. And I just think I, we've seen so many viral clips where people will post these things of like Tom Brady yelling at his teammates on the sideline. And they're like, this is the guy who everybody says is, the the top of his field you know and he's over here lighting these guys up and and this is the guy who you worship you know and it's like dude that's that's to me amplify those moments put those moments on the big screen you know because that is leadership sometimes michael jordan you do got to punch steve kerr in the face ask steve kerr if he thinks michael jordan was better for his career or worse for his career did 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 MJ or Tom Brady did they break some of their teammates mentally? Probably. Yep. But you know what? Those guys, unfortunately, it's a win or lose league. And that's that's what those, it comes down to. Those again, the gamers, they rise up, you know. The, those guys that break and fold, like they they're never gonna amount to anything anyway, you know. Um I think the other thing too that that's with that is like, you know, obviously like that really highlights Brady and some of the things that he does, but also too, it speaks a lot about Gronk and his ability just, just to follow. And Hey, nothing's personal. You know, I'm, I remember when Peyton was with Indy, I got a chance to be on the sideline, not like in the end zone, like on the actual bench. 
I remember after the first series, they went like three and out. He came out and he like, he chucked like three water bottles, you know, told the offensive coordinator, like, what the fuck are we doing? And it was just, it, it was just professional competitive athletes talk. Like nobody took it personal. Like that was it. Everybody, they said what they needed to say. Then they moved on, you know? And I think, um, you know, to guys on the receiving end of that type of leadership, like, like, you, like, Gong said, you have to learn where it's coming from. And the, and the fact, like, we want to be great. We want to be a dynasty. So, again, the hard truths I'm spitting right now, just get on board. Be a gamer. Come along with me. I love what you said right there. Of It's it's not personal, you know. And the reason I wanted to talk about this topic, too, I think, is because the way that all these things translate into life itself. And just we live in a time, like I said, where – People don't want feedback or people don't want critiques. You know, I do. Like, I, I think we live in a time where people are soft skinned, you know, where they don't want to be, they they want to, they turtle up when they hear criticism as opposed to rise to the occasion. Like you said, like a gamer does. If somebody tells me, hey, I need you to do a better job on your scouting reports at work because I need you to focus more on the defensive portion of your evaluation, you know, I'm not going to take that. Personally, I, I know that whoever's giving me that feedback is telling me that because they want me to be as good as I can be. And I just think we lose, we, we just lose that side of things where I was telling a friend the other day, like I, I had an argument with a friend about fantasy football and, you know, told him to go F himself, you know, things like that. And, and, and we're boys though. Like we talk like all the time and it's, and that's, and if people didn't know that about us and they just looked at our exchange, they'd be like, man, these guys have bad blood. Well, we don't mm. because it's not personal, man. Like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Pat, if we get into a heated discussion or something, I'll be like, man, go F yourself. But you bet yourself, you bet, man, I'll hit you up a week later and I'll hug, we'll hug it out. We'll have a beer together no and we'll, we'll move on from it, you know, because that's how we make each other better. In some instances. Amen. Amen. No doubt. Only my, I can't wait for my wife to hear this so she can apply this to her pickleball game with me. <laughs> I mean, hey, it comes down to competition. I think that's that's why I want to talk about this stuff because the older you get in life, the more you realize that not everybody is wired like you. And so you try to reconcile your own worldview with what everybody else is seeing, you know? And I think that's where that's where some of my deeper points are coming from. Um. But I got a couple more scouting cliches that I want to talk to you about uh, before we before we wrap it up with some lightning round questions. And this kind of feeds into the same thing as, um, you know, we talk about soft players, right? In the in, you know we you hear ah oh, this guy's soft, you know you know. So what to you? What's a soft player? I think a soft player from a statistical standpoint is volatile. Um, they're just not consistent. Uh, I think they ride their highs. They also sink with their lows. Um, you know, I think they're probably externally in some ways motivated. Um, you know, and I think to a comment you brought up earlier about not caring about game 14 in the regular season, like, you know, these guys treat every day as a new opportunity to, um, or excuse me, the good ones prove, you know, take every day as, as a chance to go out there and prove to themselves what they can do. 
where a lot of people want to hide behind that long run of that's oh, it's 162 games or it's 26 games in my high school season and like you know i don't have to do all the little things right um that would kind of be how i would bucket a a, a soft player or coming from colorado a guy that doesn't like to compete in the cold or adverse environments you know like whether it's rain or snow or sunshine like you got to get after it absolutely i like the the inconsistency piece that you raised right there to me it's kind of physical and mental you know there's like two layers of it where but and it comes really back to the mental side when i talk about softness or toughness usually if you're a physically tough player meaning you're able to play through minor nicks and bruises which you're going to need to do in a 162 game season that's part of scouting is to identify the guys who can play through those little nicks and bruises. Mm. And usually it's a player who is tough on the mental side that is able to play through the physical nicks and bruises and still perform at a fairly high level. Because they're so mentally strong, they're not letting the little physical maladies affect them as much as other guys do. And I think that's just par for the course when you're talking about a long, long season. But to me, when you talk about softness and toughness, there's a physical side of it and there's a mental side of it. But really the mental side of it kind of overrides because those guys who are, sometimes you find a guy who's built like a brick house, but you know he's out for a week with, the, with just the mo most minor things, right? So to me, that's a player who's probably physically, he's very built up, but he's mentally, he's not able to get over whatever it is that he's, going through more so than physical do you think there's a correlation between the ease at which you play and you know you you, you brought softness to basically longevity in some ways like do you think there's also truth to like the easier you play the game the longer you can play that's a good question i feel like that's come up recently in another discussion as well and i feel like i haven't wrapped my mind fully around that and i feel like you're asking that question for a reason so what are your thoughts? I'm going to flip it on you. Yeah, no, I, I think there is, you know, like coming from the coaching background, hey, it's, you know, hard 90s, run as hard as you can. And I'm, I'm about that. I'm about that style of play, you know, draw it out to the major league level where these guys get to, you know, I hate seeing guys coast through the line at like five seconds or taking turns at like six and a half seconds. Um, you know, but I do think there is like a situational component to how the major leagues play it, which at times can maybe do like a little bit of a disservice to the guys that might play 26 or 50 games in a year or, you know, 85 games in a year. Um, so yeah, I do think there is a correlation between like how easy you play the game and your longevity. That does make sense. That does make sense. I mean, I'm having a hard time between like, how would you separate ease of game versus the amount of effort you put in? Uh, like take it, take for example, like running, you know, like a, a guy that runs easy, just runs smooth versus like head down, swinging the arms a hundred miles an hour, digging the feet down in the trenches, you know, like he's running hard. Like it's an efforty run. Um, maybe they run the same speed, but like, I would say that, okay, the guy that runs with less effort to his gate has a better chance of playing longer. Oh yeah. I like that. I like that. Those are some, those are some deep, 
scouting discussions right there and uh another sort of layer of the onion that we'll leave for another episode or something that we'll we'll continue to unpack but i like where your head's at with that um all right pat so we're kind of wrapping things up here and i've got a lightning round for you and for those of you listening at home the lightning round is just kind of scouting centric questions we're looking for short answers pat doesn't know what these questions are beforehand and um you know hopefully they can unearth some nuggets for for us as well as the listeners and you know maybe we can kind of clip some of them together but are you ready for the lightning round pat fire away all right we don't have a timer or anything like that but just try to keep your answers to like 15 to 30 seconds or so brilliant and brief let's go all right question one pat what do you need to see from a high school player to project them as a future average big league bat Show me power, show me bat to ball, show me quality approach. I like that. Okay. Single most important trait for an amateur hitter. Knowing the strike zone. I love that. Single most important trait for an amateur pitcher. Command. Is there I'm a going one word? I'm 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 going one word answers. I mean, uh, yeah, command. Yeah, you you have to be able to con- control the baseball in the strike zone. I love that. Come back, come back, really quick. What did you say for single most important trait for an amateur hitter? Knowing the zone. Uh, knowing the strike zone. Give me give me the answer and why, real quick. Know the zone and why. Because you're gonna have to make split second decisions on balls coming 95 to 100 and you know 85 plus mile an hour sliders so like if you don't understand the strike zone it's going to be really hard for you to hit major league level 100 percent. okay what do you love about the craft slash art of scouting filling in the gaps you know i think from scouting tools, looking at statistics, you can get a sense of what a player is. Uh, I think the art of scouting, your your word is filling in all those little unknown pieces that complete the profile of that player. Love it. Advice to young players who may stumble upon this. Keep going. Uh, be mindful of what you're doing. Uh, this game's a big body of work. I've seen guys crack in at tw- you know, 20, 21. I've seen guys crack in at 30. It's in your heart. Keep going. I love that. Advice to young scouts who may stumble upon this. Learn from the veterans. Uh, don't take anything as like the Bible or the way. Uh, stay true to the things that you believe about the game and take a full snapshot of who the player is. Those are awesome, Pat. That's what, that was the lightning round. I got one more bonus one for you. What's a question that you would like me to ask you or that you would like to answer? (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man, that's a good one. What's a question I would like to answer? And if you want, you could chew on it. We can come back to it if you want to. You know, I mean, I'll just say this, like, again, I, I talked about the, the full profile and looking at the whole player. Um, I, I really think that who these prospects are and who these amateur players are as people really matters. You know, the background on the families, like just their social habits, like the things that we all do. Each of us have our own idiosyncrasies from like, what do we do when we wake up? Um, I think those things are, are are at times overlooked and, and can be greatly predictive. Like, you know, I'll ask guys, Hey, what's the most used app on your phone? You know, and some know right away tells me they're really glued on that thing. You know, other guys like, eh, I don't really know, you know, like tells me, okay, this guy's not, not living on one of these. He's living out in the real world, you know, and just, just little subtleties like that. I, I really enjoy digging up. I like that. I like where your mind comes back to with scouting, just as far as filling in the blanks, understanding the makeup side. You know, I think when you're really, if you just really boil it down, you're not going to go wrong if you kind of follow those basic tenets and principles. Absolutely. So it's where we start in the beginning of this with all this great research and digging up that S2 article. Um, you know, it's, we don't put all our eggs in one basket. You know, it's like we need to find the basket that that um, is really going to separate this guy at the end of the day and and do our homework there and, and not always get caught up in the other things. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a great episode. I, I loved everything you shared on that uh, S2 stuff and just just your takes on it were awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're wrapping things up here. I didn't know if you have some lightning rounds for me, we'll get them in there here at the end. But if not, then, um, you know, we can wrap up. Yeah, we'll wrap it up. I, I got I'm going to do some homework on my lightning rounds. You uh, you ambushed me pretty good. So I'm, I'm not even going to embarrass myself by asking mine. So we'll save it for episode three. No worries. No worries at all. OK, so, hey, everyone, thank you guys for joining us today. Pat, it's always a pleasure chatting and breaking it down with you. So we'll leave, we'll kind of do the same thing. We'll leave our socials here in the description. We'll get this thing up where podcasts are available. It'll be available on YouTube, of course. Hopefully you're watching it there. But thank you guys for joining us. Give us a subscribe. Give us a like. Leave a comment for us on our topic of the day. What do you guys think about S2? Give us ideas for the lightning round. You know, whatever you guys got. Scouting cliches. Anything you guys want us to talk about, we'd love to hear your feedback. But Pat, thanks again for joining me. And until next time, everyone.